Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 29 of Trail Society brought to you by our good friends over at Free Trail. My name's Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. And we are still located all over the place. But before we dive into why we're, we are where we are, we have to give a quick shout out to our good friends over at Athletic Greens for helping make this podcast happen. If you would like to get your hands on some Athletic Greens, you can go over to www.athleticgreens.com slash Trail Society there with your first order. You will get a bunch of free travel packets and a year's supply of liquid vitamin D. So if you'd like to give it a try again, that's www.athleticgreens.com slash trail society. Kelly and I are, we're probably like really close together right now. Probably. I'm actually closer. I'm like in Les Uches. I kind of went outside of the city. Oh, you bit. ran away from me. Could not run. Where no. are you? Corinne, are you in Chamonix? Yeah, I'm in Chamonix. Hilly is over where I call it the layouchies because when you are descending into Lazouche <laughs> during TDS, it is more like layouchies than it is Lazouche. But that's because <laughs> we both just went for, well, I didn't go for a very long run, but we'll talk more about that later. Hilly just went for a very, very long run though on a Friday and Saturday. Yeah. 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 We'll dive into that in a little bit. Keely, you've officially made it home to Portland, Oregon, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's perfect timing. It's like the best season here right now. And I started running again. So I got the best of both worlds. Yeah. I've been running now for like six days. <laughs> Yay. We are yep. so, so Longest so time I've ever you. taken off from running in my entire life, probably like eight and a half weeks. So we're doing it. Dude, we're doing it. So, so excited for you. <laughs> because cool. because Hilly and I have been mostly sleep deprived slash like just deranged for the last like seven to 10 days. We're going, we're going long range on that. Can you hit us with some of the news that you're <laughs> able to pull this week? Cause it is really, really cool. And I just want to make sure that we do it justice. Yeah. So there's a lot of news coming out right now around female athletes and pregnancy and a lot of the female athletes demanding more in their contracts. And this was kind of spearheaded by Serena Williams retiring and citing motherhood as the reason why she's retiring because she wants to be able to focus on being a mother, perhaps increasing her family size and not worrying about performing on such a high level. And this kind of pigeon-tailed into a lot of other female athletes citing their motherhood or fertility journey and kind of talking through their contract controversies with different sports. Um, and they're demanding more around like family planning and support during their career because they want to be able to compete and they also want to be able to have a family. They don't want to have to choose one or the other because as we know in trail running, you don't stop being an athlete at 30, right? Like you could be an athlete through your forties and there's, that's your big fertile window. And so if you can't have kids during that time without fearing that you're going to lose your job as an athlete, or you're going to lose years off your career as an athlete, then you're not going to be able to do it very easily. Yeah. Um, I have to sacrifice like, you know, bonuses for a year or a season mm -hmm. or two. Like that's a lot. As we mentioned, I guess it came out just last week with Steph Howe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so a lot of women now are talking through IVF as well as egg freezing during their careers so that they have the opportunity to have children when they do decide to retire, if they don't want to take, you know, a little hiatus in the middle of their career. Um, but now a lot of people are raising the concern around the price of IVF and egg freezing, right? Because it's not a cheap endeavor. I mean, a simple Google search leads you to see that it's, it can be between $10,000 and $50,000 to freeze 
freeze your eggs with like an annual storage fee as well. So it's like, it's not a cheap thing. And so, you know, thinking about that through, especially as a female athlete in, in some of these more niche sports, like you're not making enough money to be able to just throw down 50 grand to freeze your eggs. And so and insurance doesn't help. Like that's a huge no, part of this. Exactly. Too. Yeah. Even with, even with some underlying conditions that could render your, your uterus unable to, you know, have a, a pregnancy on its own, even then insurance most likely does not cover like egg freezing or IVF. And so, um, a really cool thing that came out recently is that the WNBA has been bargaining, um, to actually include some of these things in their contracts. And so they're now saying that veteran players can get reimbursed up to 60 grand in costs for adoption, surrogacy, and fertility treatments, which is just so very cool. Um, and they've now adjusted their maternity leave to pay out 100% and they'll actually receive, which is what we talked about Steph Howe with a $5,000 yearly stipend, which again, maybe is not the end of the world. Like it's not the best amount of money. It's not going to cover everything, but an extra five grand to cover some child support is definitely a step in the right direction. And it will allow these mothers to continue training to at least have someone watching their child. That's huge. That's really, really cool. And I think it's something that we don't think about. I mean, that's what we talked about with Steph, right? You don't think about the fact that your track workout suddenly costs $50 or $60 mm-hmm. or $100. Mm-hmm. Those are huge sacrifices for, for women in general to make and for parents in general to make. But we see it, you know, we get to see it up close and personal when we're talking about the professional athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think up until recently, nobody really talked about this, right? It was just like, okay, well, I really want to be an athlete. I've already worked hard enough to secure sponsorships. I'm not about to bring up being a mother, right? Like I'm not going to ask for money to cover my IVF. I'm not going to ask for money to cover my egg freezing. I'm not going to ask for paid pater- maternity leave. And now I think people are talking about it and companies are realizing like, okay, yeah, we actually do have to come up to bat for this because we want to keep these athletes in the sport. They're really, really monumental to the sport. And we also want them to be able to be mothers eventually one day. And so I'm excited to see how this kind of evolves in other sports and how other contracts adopt these principles around egg freezing and IVF. Yeah. Maybe it'll pave the way and hopefully these conversations to allow people to have better, better negotiations with their managers and the teams they're talking to mm-hmm. um, yeah. as we just struggle to have like maternity leave. Yeah. like generally in the u.s totally so, oh, i'm hitting the feels right now i like my cortisol is is high i'm gonna be emotional i think a lot today um and then hillary and corinne both start crying <laughs> oh cute tears no i think i might be out of tears slash just really de- dehydrated at this point but racing right we had some races over the weekend some big ones that we're about to talk about um, that Hillary and I have been in and around all week, but team USA showed up in a big way at a couple mm-hmm. different races this weekend. Keely, do you know anything about the mountain running champs? I like totally forgot that that was happening. Yeah. I mean, I've been trying to follow it on their website, but their website is just so bad for finding any sort of results. And so I've just been trolling Instagram and seeing if I could find anything. And, you know, I at least found Grayson Murphy's post where she said that her and Joe Gray were the first um, two Americans to win the challenge Stellina in Italy. Um, And so they both took first. And then both men's and women's teams took third overall in this, in the mountain running championships, which is really awesome for, for uh, team USA, because I feel like 
we're normally not snagging top three in these mountain running champs, uh, at least not both teams. And so that's a really big step for North America, USA running, which I feel like is the theme of this episode. And I literally almost put on Team USA jersey before this episode because I was going to be like, Team USA, like we're crushing it this weekend. Oh man. I ran out of time. (laughs) Yeah. Like I just, I I, like, I got so pumped. I saw Joe, Joe Gray's, um, I mean, Grayson Murphy, I I, I saw her post too, but Joe Gray had the most epic photo of him just being like, like like doing like the James Bond like little like I don't know like air handguns or whatever like going crossing the finish line it was such a sick photo it's like so cool mm-hmm. yeah once <laughs> again so cool. the most deck like like uh, most decorated yeah pretty much. yeah and I think what's really cool about this just one side note is that Grayson Murphy has been injured pretty much all summer she's been cross training a lot and she's been cross training a ton and she kind of acknowledges that hey like I did not have a perfect build but if by any means like I didn't really even have a build but like if you stay true to your body and you don't force yourself to start running really quickly and too much right away like you can still harness the fitness that's there if you're patient yeah. and she was like able to take the bike fitness the small amount of running fitness she had and like you know take that and win this dang race which is which is pretty cool and a testament to her patients which is is also awesome fitness is fitness and speaking of fitness the 100k road world champs were in um berlin this weekend um one of my really really good friends courtney olson from bellingham washington was on that team again and she is such a baddie um and i like was losing it um, hanging out with some other mutual friends of ours over here when we found out that um, not only did Courtney like run a super, super aggressive race in the women's field, but she ended up fourth um, mm-hmm. just shy of the podium, but she ran 7.15. Like that's disgusting. That's so, so fast. So yeah. really, really cool. Um, but the women's team also got first overall and with France coming in second and Japan coming in third. And I thought mm-hmm. that that was really amazing. The U S women went four, seven and 11, um, with Anna Kakis and, um, Nicole Monet. So that was just, I don't know. They're like, I know that the hundred K road worlds is kind of like a funky event. Um, but I think we've been able to like put out a bunch of really good, fast ultra runners that way. And, um, I was just really thrilled for Courtney and for the women's team to do that. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't really know what 715 for 100K means, it's like around a 658 per mile for 62.2 miles. So very fast. Yeah, I don't, I don't really run that pretty much <laughs> ever. Um, the men's team um, got 13th. Eric LaPuma, who's been doing a bunch more trail stuff. He's out east, but was in Boulder for a while. Um, was 29th in 653. Jeff Burns was 41st in 709. Chris Brown, trail our trail guy, Chris Brown was 45th in 714. I know that he did not have the day that he wanted in chatting with chatting with him over the weekend, but really, really cool to see the US performing well there. And we just want to give extra big shout outs to the US women's team for snagging gold at those championships. I think there's one one more race that we'll talk about before we dive into the, the big, big one. Um, and that's Trophy Okima. And actually, this is so funny because um, so it happened actually the day like this weekend. So Sunday. Um, so um, we're stamping this. But the day after uh, or I guess during some UTMB finishers, but Trophy Akima is an amazing race. It's it's like a this, this iconic race in Italy. Um, super crazy technical. It happens every two years. So this year was um, a pretty special year to happen after like po- post COVID. And 
Uh, shout out to an American living abroad, Hillary Girardi. She mm-hmm. uh, won. She won the twenty this this year's edition to it. But like in a super impressive time, mm-hmm. she beat Nuria Pika's ten year old course record on Whoa. this course, and Whoa. so. She ran and like this. This gives a perspective. Like we're just talking about a seven seven fifteen hundred k. She ran this course in seven hours thirty minutes, and like it's mm-hmm. it's like insane. There's like chains that's like to go up. Yeah, it's and not down really a running. Rock. It's not like even a running no. race. Like it's it they is a super it, super technical terrain. Yeah, race. they call it sky running extreme. Mm. So, um, so she did she did an incredible race there, and it's hilarious. You guys should check out her post. It's like she says, Kima Lagara, which means Kima the War. <laughs> So oh it was like, kind of cool. And um, so the women's podium to, um, I'm, I'm going to pronounce her name, Marcella Vasanova. She, remember she had an incredible um, performance at um, Zegama uh, where she yeah. won. And so she placed second and she was actually leading until the last 10K where Hillary Girardi passed her. And the incredible part about this is the last, the last 10K is like, or actually the last like six Ks, I think is completely flat back into town. So Hillary turned on the turned it on and then there was an italian for um the third place at karina carasolio um yeah so uh that was awesome i mean i'll just highlight the i can highlight the the guys as well um if you guys have heard of um what's his name fin- finley wild um he just not had a sponsor. great race he just had another really good race up, up in norway maybe yeah hmm. he's 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 not a sponsored runner i just I, he's like Is wearing he like uh, yes, I think Scotland or maybe he's, I forget this. I think he's from the UK. I, th- I think, No, I think he's, he's not from, Scottish. I'm Scottish? looking at his flag and what is this? I'm not even sure. I think it's Finland uh, or like, I'm not sure where he's from, but Finley Wild. I'm sorry. He got first. Um, He was just shy of Killian's, of Killian's record, like only like a minute, Um, but uh, like just shy of Killian's record there. And then, mm-hmm. um, Alexis Sevenak, the Frenchman, was second, and then Stian. Um, he's the Finn. Finn, he, he was he was third. So very strong field um and super fast races. And again, Finley didn't take the lead until the last 10K. So that's <clears throat> wild. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. One yeah, more race. Speaking of speaking of speedy times, uh comrades happened this weekend. So that's down in South Africa. And uh, Camille Heron from USA went and was looking to defend her previous title, not the past year, but, you know, before. And this year was a downhill race. So it was net downhill for the 50 plus miles. And she ended up getting sixth, which is awesome. Um, But there's a little bit of controversy going on here with Alexandra Morozov. Um, not sure if I said that correctly, but she's from Russia. She won the women's race after some litigation to let her get into the race initially, um, but will not receive prize money due to her nationality. Um, and so this is causing a little bit of controversy and she's planning to take this to court as well to um, go about seeing up to win that, that money as well for winning. Um, and so, yeah, just an interesting take by this race. They allowed her to race, which again, is up to the discretion of the race directors, um, but they are not allowing her to receive prize money. And so we'll see where this kind of goes in the future. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before with, with Russian athletes being banned and what does that, what does that actually mean or, or say, you know, missing notably from my team this week at UTMB was Ekaterina and Dima who have been staples um, of the Russian trail scene for a long time. They're back home in Russia right now. So 
it's, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where the, this litigation goes, but um, notable for people in the audience who followed our Western state stuff, uh, Dominika Stalmach, the Polish athlete, I think she took second at comrades, mm. which is a, she's so good on the road. She did not have the, she did not have the Western state she wanted. I think she had a pretty hard day out there, but super, super talented. And I believe that she was second at comrades mm. in what I saw on her Instagram. And that is, that's really, really impressive. So I wanted to give the Polish athlete, Dominika, uh, a shout out while we, while we have that, but I guess we're kind of um, going to dive into the meat and potatoes yep. of our thing today. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk UTMB race results. We're going to talk UTMB female participation. We're going to talk about what Haley and I did this week, the highs, the lows, the everything in between. But I think to kick this off, we got to give a shout out to the feed because one, they give us a big hand, mm. but two, Haley had a near nutrition disaster yeah. and the feed came through. So, uh, Haley, can you give the feed a shout out and tell the audience, tell everyone listening at home or watching on YouTube, um, what, what happened and, uh, how the feed saved you. So yeah, the feed MVP, like literally it's kind of insane when you're figuring out how many calories you need to get around this mountain. (laughs) And, um, so, you know, I came out here a bit earlier and I was training. So I had taken my, you know, race, like my nutrition for training and I had finished it and then planned to bring over my race nutrition with my friend, Elise, who was coming over to crew me and, um, you know, put it in the carry on just because you didn't want to like, like like figure out if it was going to get lost, like run the risk. And the first time this has literally ever happened to me is they confiscated, they confiscated it from Elise and they claimed that it was like too much liquid, which I don't, I don't know. It seemed like it was just like a kind of a fluke or maybe someone was having a bad day. My theory is, is that the TSA agent was an ultra runner and he saw the, like the, (laughs) um, how valuable this package was. Um, but so at least like, you know, she, she, we figured out, we call, um, she calls the feed, tells them what's happening and they come through and they ended up like overnighting, um, all of like the stuff that they kind of had confiscated so that she was able to kind of take the flight, um, out to, to, to meet me, um, at UTMB. So it was, I was like, this happened like partially when I was sleeping and then, um, <laughs> and then kind of like figuring out the rest of it when I, when I got awake, um, did they end up shipping it to you or to, to her? No, they <laughs> shipped it to Elise. So she kind of had a, she had a day over, she was flying out East to New York where her, where she's from. Mm-hmm. And then, so she hadn't had a day, like one day, uh, there before she flew out. So it was just enough time wow. for it to get there in time. It was like, it was insane. I mean, and then it didn't get compensated the second time. No, <laughs> so we put it in the check bags because oh, nice. uh, we just didn't want to run the risk. Uh, but it's just, it's stuff like this. I mean, like I know, so the feed is based out of Boulder. I I know these people personally, they, it's like, it is, I mean, you think about these big companies, but really it's not when you know these people personally and they really go above and beyond. Um, and so they, they care about the products that they're putting in your hands. And this is why I love working with companies like this. Not only are their products great and you can kind of mix and match the nutrition. I mean, I use three different types of nutrition, no, four different types of nutrition out there in UTMB. And I got it all from one place. It just, the feed just makes everything easier. Um, and yeah, so huge shout out to these guys. Um, and saving our butts. Yeah. Just saving our butts. And the irony of, and we'll get, we'll get into this later, is that I had stomach problems during UTMB. <laughs> you didn't even eat your nutrition. I ate some, but yeah, I had to get a little creative. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> but so I guess if you would like to check out the feed, you can go to 
www.thefeed.com slash Trail Society. There at checkout, you can use Trail Society 15 to get 15% off your order. We love it. Um, before we dive into some of the results and Keely crunched a bunch of numbers, so we're going to let you her take you through those. But um, we need to, what we should mention off the top is that um, akin to the tragedy that happened during TDS last year, where there was an accident and a, a male runner died um, in the midst of the race, PTL, which is one of the events that happens during UTMB week, it's not so much a race as it is kind of an adventure. It's about a 180 mile trek where um, you're in teams of two or three and you know, you're, you're carrying lightweight mountaineering equipment, you're off trail a bunch. Um, you know, there's definitely, definitely risk involved in it. And in that race early, um, in the early hours on Tuesday morning, a 40 year old Brazilian athlete passed away on course when he had an accident and slipped and fell. Um, and we were kind of informed, I think Tuesday afternoon that that had taken place. So we just want to give, um, love and support to that athlete and their family and that community because accidents happen in the mountains, but they are never, they're never not sad. So we just wanted to say that before we dive into statistics. <clears throat> statistics so fun statistics so there's a lot <laughs> a lot of events going on UTMB week there's ETC there's MCC there's YCC there's OCC there's CCC and UTMB because you know what ultra runners love freaking acronyms well <laughs> um, and in case anyone doesn't know like if it's taking it took me a while to figure this out that the letters stand for something guys they stand for the cities that they connect <laughs> so it makes yep. sense it does make sense. <laughs> it should make sense. Um, well, ETC is like, it, it, like explore trail Cormier, the new, the new 20 mm-hmm. K that they introduced this year, which actually sounds like it was a ton of fun. It mm-hmm. sounded also like a kind of insane quote unquote intro to trail run because it had like a ton of climbing and a little, you know, little yeah. 20 K event, but, mm-hmm. uh, Keely, can you walk us through, um, I think we have, uh, finisher stats and also starter stats, like percentages, as far as the male, female breakdown of the races. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of going through all the races, I feel like that's a little bit excessive. I'll just go through Mm -hmm. a couple. Um, so last year we crunched the numbers for you for some of the main races at UTMB. And so this year I'll kind of take you through the numbers and compare them to last year to kind of show you the progress of the female participation in the sport. And so we'll start with, um, UTMB. That's the biggest race that I crunched the numbers for. So this is the 105 mile race and there were 139 female finishers this year, um, which basically equates to around 7%, um, where about 9% of the starters were females. And this is about the same as last year. So about 7% of female of the finishers last year were also female. So when we're looking at UTMB, the participation for females, very, very low. And it has not changed from last year. And so there's some moves to be made here where we really should start to try to get more females into this. I don't know if that's going to happen because of all of the new running stone, Lord of the Rings type entry policies that UTMB has. Sorry, it feels very Lord of the Rings to me. (laughs) Um, So I don't know how we're going to increase the women in that race, but I think that UTMB should really put that top of mind when they're looking at um, entry applicants. Yeah. I think starters Um, were 9%. So we had, we started with 9% ended up with about 7%. Yeah. And then the rest of the races, the percentage that started is very similar to the percentages finished as well. Um, but let's move to CCC, which is a hundred K and this year 
we had about 16% of the field for as females to start and about 14% finished. Um, sorry, 14% of the finishers were female, not 14% of the starters. Um, and that is an improvement from last year. So last year, the amount of women in the field was around 10%. And so we did have a little bit more of an increase in female participation in CCC this year, which is really awesome. And then this trend kind of continues as we look at OCC. So OCC is now the 55K, which is shorter in distance than the CCC, which was shorter in distance than the UTMB. And here we have about 29% of the field in the beginning were females and about the same finished. Um, and this is a huge progress from previous year where last year it was only around 19%. And so we're seeing a big uptick in women running these shorter distance races with, you know, almost 30% of the field being, being female in this OCC That's race. Huge. That mm -hmm. is so, I mean, it's like we're aiming for 50, 50 here or taking over the world, whatever you want to, however you want to go about it. But you know, like seeing that's following the trends, right. That more and more women are entering trail and ultra runs races. And we're seeing that trend most strongly in the like sub 50 mile distance, yep. but seeing that that uptick in CCC is really good. That's a hard hundred K. So yeah. kudos to women that signed up for that. Exactly. And then the last one I'll pull, and this was a new race for the year is all called ETC. It was a 20 K. Um, this one had the highest female participation at about 44% of starters were females. Um, and this is kind of not a shock to me because of things we've talked about in the past where a lot of companies to increase female participation, start a shorter race that goes alongside the longer races. And so ETC is only around, you know, 14 or 15 miles. I'm doing the math in my head. Nope. Around 10 miles. Um, Anyways, ETC is a lot shorter than the other races and therefore has a lot more females starting, which I think is a good, you know, introductory trail race for women considering doing something like OCC or CCC. Maybe they got to do ETC this year and they were like, okay, I can do this. And now they'll be able to, you know, bite off OCC the following year. And so these introductory races, these shorter races, I think will really help drive female participation in the sport, as well as like diverse participation in the sport. I think this ETC race is really great for the trail running community as a whole and will hopefully drive more participation going forward. Yeah. And the next piece of that puzzle that needs to kind of be addressed too is when we kind of are talking about diversity, I don't know if you guys saw Allison Desair's posts about kind of, you know, Hey, like, you know, by like BIPOC folks who are in or who are in and around UTMB this week, you know, like, let me know, like, let me know who's there. Let me know, like, are we being represented? Are we being brought on by brands to be there as journalists, to cover the race, to, to be involved in events, to be there running themselves. And so, you know, that was definitely like reading to the comments on that post was super, super interesting. And, and recognizing that while um, there are a lot of Asian athletes out of China and Hong Kong and Japan um, that are represented there in particular, like folks of color, particularly like black and brown Americans, there aren't very many people. I know Adam Mary was here and he mentioned that, you know, that he didn't see anyone near him in CCC, you know, representing that crowd. And so just trying to think, think about what brands can do, what the sport can do to, to welcome folks of color in, into the space and feel safe there and feel welcome there. So something to think about if you haven't read Allison Desai's post, you should go check it out. She also has a book coming out called Running While Black, and I can't wait for it to be released. So if that's something that interests you, I would highly recommend getting on the pre-order. I think that's my only, my only like new 
thing that I'm like, yes, this must happen. Um, let's do some results though from OCC, CCC, and UTMB. And then we can talk about what went wrong personally or right personally <laughs> this week. I got to be in the, the commentating booth all weekend covering the three main races, the, th- the three races that will be championship races in 2023 as part of the finale of the World Series, the UTMB World Series. Um, all the races were really fast, like really, really fast. We had, we didn't have a record set in OCC because the course changed pretty significantly between this year and previous editions. But even then it was bonkers to watch my teammate Shayla won the women's race, um, took like went moved from like third to first in the last 10 kilometers because Allie Mack, who led the race for, I think 45 kilometers, um, and, you know, said that she felt really good and doesn't think she went out too hard. And I totally believe her. I just like, I, I, I buy it. I'm in, I am on the Allie Mack train, did not have the final 10 kilometers that she wanted. And so Shayla made this huge move to take first Nuria was second. So Spain went one, two, and then Danny Moreno hmm. top American, uh, coming back for a third, just like she did at Mont Blanc marathon earlier this year. I got to have her in studio during CCC for an interview. It was so much fun. Um, we think that she might be the first American on the women's OCC podium, um, which is really, really cool. Um, we've done really well at races like CCC and UTMB, but we think that she's the first American woman to be on the OCC podium. So huge shout out to her. Kimber Maddox was fourth. Allie Mack held on for six, like fought tooth and nail to get to that finish line for sixth. Um, Ashley Brosvin was 12th. And then last week's guest, Steph Howe had a great OCC. I think it was really cool. I was in tears when she ran across the finish line with Julie and her son. Um, it looked like she really had a great time out there and she ran stupid fast as well. So huge shout out to Steph Howe. <laughs> yeah. I was cheering so hard for Danny Moreno. It was so cool. It was so yeah. exciting to watch. Yeah, the change and everything. They were going so fast. Mm-hmm. I have to do, yeah. Like, and it was it was so cool. Like, um, Kimber, I got to meet her in person. Like, mm-hmm. I've known I've known her for a while, and just like to, she was so nervous. She's like, "It's my furthest. Like, it's my furthest yep. race. I don't know what to do." And she just crushed. It was so cool to yep. see. Yeah, she's so yeah. lovely. I've gotten to train with her a lot in Bend, and she's just like the nicest human. I'll miss she her because she just moved to Colorado. Yeah, yeah to Fort but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she had an absolute savage race and she like texted me after saying like for a long time, so much to learn. And so she's also just like the most humble racer. So I can't wait to see what she does going forward even. Yeah. yeah. Super solid. So three American women in the top 10. So super great um, showing by the American women. The men's race was also Spain and Spain mm-hmm. at the front of it. And there was, I mean, there were upsets involved in that as well. Um, Manuel and Antonio, they, kind of attacked in this technical section of the course this year where things I think were getting really, really hot. Um, and they actually went back and forth, um, as well. Like the, the lead changed in the last 10, like, yeah, like last 10 kilometers, Antonio made this big move overtook Manuel. And then all of a sudden we're like, wait, we think Manuel's back in the lead because Antonio Mm. is cramping, um, Mm. leaving La Flagere. So all of a sudden Manuel went from like, you know, being overtaken. I'm now in second to coming back and winning. Um, so they had a, an amazing showing and then Robbie Simpson held on for third. He was second last year. So was trying to come back for the win, but just didn't quite have it. 
And then top American was um, Justin Greenwald in 12th. I got to see him with Amanda and their two uh, kiddos the other day. And uh, he seemed pretty stoked with his performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he also grabbed his daughter for the finish. And that was the cutest yeah, was cool. as well. <laughs> All these dads just crushing it and moms crushing it. It's so fun. Yeah. There are a lot of parents out there. We're going to give, I think, just a quick shout out to the top um, male and female at TDS because TDS is super brutal. We'll talk about my TDS here in a second, but um, they started at, at midnight this year and um, Ludo Pomeray, 47 years young, went out. He went through the first aid station in 22nd and just worked his way up. And then he caught my nice. teammate who was leading and uh, just like pushed and pushed and pushed until he broke Hugo. Uh, deck this French runner and uh, Hugo had to drop out because he was hallucinating. That's how hard Ludo pushed him. Ludo also had a great race at Western States back Mm -hmm. in June. So huge shout out to the ageless wonder. Um, They're taking the win. And then um, fan favorite, I would say um, Martina, everyone knows Martina. Martina has like, you know, is like the queen of media for Solomon Um, just had a stellar race from the gun and led wire to wire um, could not be happier for Martina to take the win there. And then, um, actually my really, uh, like real quick, the Marion sisters, um, uh, Stacy and Jess Marion ran the entire race together. They were the top American women. Um, maybe the top Americans in general, they were ninth and 10th overall. Uh, I got to see them after their race and they said, it's hard racing with your sister. Cause you're literally the devil on their shoulder. And whatever yeah. I'm thinking, she says out loud. So I trained with Stacey Marion in Seattle. So big shout outs to the Marion cool. sisters for uh, bringing in the the rest of the top 10 women there. But let's let's go into CCC because that race was also just insane, stupid, stupid fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, so it was really cool. This, I mean, this basically, I feel like I know the CCC course, except for like, you know, the last, um, or what happened during the race, except for the last maybe two hours. Cause then I, or the last little bit, cause mm-hmm. then I started UTMB, but I was following it closely all day, but, um, the women's race, it was actually, I mean, Blandine, um, Leon Dell, she went, she won this, uh, the OCC last year in um, a in course a few- record time. Exactly. Dominating fashion. So this year, um, she kind of just started out guns, the guns blazing. And she was, she, she was having a pretty significant lead all day. I think some of the other people like reeled her in a little bit. Um, but she, she came out on top, like she was leading the the whole day. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was really interesting to see what was happening in, um, in the back and see like people kind of move up during the day. Of course I was following, a lot of friends, um, a lot of friends out there, a lot of Americans. It was really cool to see how many Americans were in a huge top, American the pack, particularly the American women. Right. Um, but I guess I'll just go kind of go through the top, the top five. Um, Sanmaya Buddha, she was second. I know she kind of made up uh she finished second. She made kind of a play later in the race, like had a very strong second half. Um, Abby Hall. So she was second at this race last year, but she had a very strong finish in third place, the first American. I feel like she really held her ground and um, made a move and then just kind of like stayed really strong and the the later kilometers of that race, which are super hard. Um, and Jasmine Lothler, 
Lothar, I think I say that right. Um, yeah. She's a Canadian. She's we, we would have known her. We've seen her. She was first at Canyons, but she was actually third at Chuckanut earlier in the year, too. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got some legs. She's speedy. She's like super psyched. Um, and she's got like she was like super excited about her race. So it was really cool to see her kind of. And as she moved up later um, in the in the field, too, and like kind of hung on. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the other Americans, we had a seventh with Aaron Clark. Um, we had Taylor Nolan in ninth. Um, so she was, she was third, um, behind Yuki Lee at the, the Gorge Waterfalls, um, the Gorge Waterfalls 50 K. Um, and she was top 10 at Western. So she had a really, a really strong race and season. And then, um, Tara Fraga was 11th and she was kind of within the top 20 all day. So it's cool to see her kind of move up as some mm-hmm. of the people's races kind of, she um, loved the downhills because that was the yeah, most right. fun she's ever had. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> at the Gordon 100k this year so um yeah it was really cool there was a lot of strong a lot of strong Americans and it was cool to see a lot of Americans kind of running together and working together in the top 20 throughout yeah, the day it was so I mean, cool we should mention I think Blondine is like a like ob gyn physician uh-huh. yep I'm like sure. I'm pretty she's sure also a physician in ob yep ob yeah so like mm-hmm. super nice. super cool yeah um Sunmaya's story is really interesting. Like she's a Nepalese athlete who has done some shorter distance ultras over the last couple of years, but really, you know, like making it onto like kind of this North face um, development group and being like given funding to have a coach has like really just like skyrocketed her potential. Uh, At 16, she left home to avoid an arranged marriage, just like super, super interesting individual and was very, very cool to watch her run. She ran such a strong back half of the race. Um, there was a moment where we thought that maybe she'd close down time to Blondine. It just didn't quite work out. Um, it was, I don't know, it was a bonkers women's race. And also um, Blondine broke Yao Miao's um, course record. There was, there's been some like big changes oh. in the CCC course over time, but um, Yao Miao's course record from... 2018 so mm-hmm. it was like 1157 blondine like annihilated it so then samaya like, was also under it then too yeah i think so yeah <laughs> we, I, mean, I was texting corinne throughout the whole race like samaya might catch her i think i yeah. catch her <laughs> yeah we were we were losing it the men's race was also just an epic battle petter engdahl actually led from the gun and just pushed yeah. it super hard all day he's a cross-country skier he's a, a swedish guy who lives in norway he actually trains with john alban who finished second in the men's race um was Sub. like the yeah. time on that is insane yeah no um so going into the race hayden hawks was like we're gonna break 10 and yeah. we were like, are you guys going to break 10? Like 10, 20 was, I think the time to beat from last year. Mm. And they were ahead of those splits all day long and they annihilated it once again, like broke, I think there were 25 minutes under the, what was, what was like considered the course record. Um, John Alban ran a really smart race and just moved up all day. And then, yeah. you know, had a super, super solid second. Um, Andreas, uh, uh, Italian guy ended up finishing, third and he actually pushed the pace really early with Petter and then kind of fell back in the field and then moved back up to, to hang on to third place. So that was very cool. And then the first American was Caleb Olson in 13th young gun, 26 years old, ninth at canyons. And then Steven Kirsch was 16th and he ran, he had a, a like, well, I think he would have liked to place higher. It sounds like he ran a really good race and ran as fast as he thought he could on the course. And the men's field and the women's field for CCC was really, really strong. I think 
the top nine women were all under Abby Hall's time from last year when Abby was second in the race. Um, you know, like that, that's how fast they were running. Abby PR'd by an hour on the exact same course. So, wow. Something to keep in mind. So cool. pretty, pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And then I guess the big guy, the big gal, we'll call it the big gal, the, the queen, the queen race queen. of the weekend. Um, UTMB. Oh my goodness. Oh, my Lanta is what <laughs> I think Keely has written in here. Uh, <laughs> Keely, tell, tell us, I mean, Hilly was running it. So uh-huh. we'll get that play by in a second, but you were, I think maybe glued, glued to some coverage over the weekend. Can you uh, just walk us through the men's and women's results? Yeah. So this race was insane. And I feel like you always go to bed around the men coming through hundred K 120 K the women are around 50 miles. And you always think like, Oh, these, these leads will hold. And, and they never do at least typically in the men's, they never do. And so the men's race was insane. Um, Jim went out hot and was in the lead for the majority of the first half of the race. And he was looking really solid. Uh, one thing to note that I thought was hilarious and shout out to Carly Graf for pointing this out is that he got to wear like a black speed suit while all the other Hoka athletes were dressed in like orange and blue, sh- like um, baggy shirt, shorts and t-shirts. But uh, anyways, <laughs> so Jim was leading for the first around hundred K and then um, Killian and Matthew caught him. They kind of worked together and they caught him. And then Killian kind of pulled away from Matthew with only a little bit left and ended up taking the win in a new course record in 1949, which just absolutely annihilated both of the past course records. Um, and Matthew was also under the course record by a good amount too, because he was only five minutes back from Killian. So it was super, super close race. And then Tom Evans ended up picking off Jim towards the end as well to take third. Um, Jim held on for a very impressive fourth, which best his position from four or five years ago at fifth. And then Zach Miller returned to the game and got fit. And he was just so steady. Yeah, He was one of the most patient racers. I feel like that he's ever been doing Mm -hmm. this race. And I was so proud to see him got out of fifth. And that was just so cool. He, he sprints to the finish in total Zach fashion to finish that race. And and yeah, off six who was charging after like it was pretty, pretty wild to watch. But so, so for course record perspective, the, the course record, the, the time they give the course record to was the 20, it was Pau Capel's time from 2019 in which he ran 20 hours and 19 minutes. Um, technically Francois Dehane has won, Dane has run 1901 on the course, but that was the old course and it was weather altered. Um, and so the idea that breaking 20 was a big deal and that Pau's time of 2019 was kind of the one to beat is because that is on the most current iteration of the course in which you go around this thing called the pyramids in on your way to Cormier, which is like a five or six K add on that adds 600 meters of climbing. They added it to get to the low terrain. Oh, it's like rocky shale nastiness Mm -hmm. that like, isn't on any other part of the course. Um, (laughs) it's kind of a bullshit loop that everyone hates, but you do it. And it makes, it makes it so that you have 10,000 meters of climbing to keep it nice and tidy. (laughs) But yeah, so that, that's kind of that course record perspective, but to have, to be second, to, to run sub 20 hours yeah. and oh, just still be second is like kind of crazy. Yeah. And then Tom Evans was low 20. So he was also really close to the course record as well. And he was third. Yeah. yeah. He was, he was ecstatic. Yeah. I've been, I've been staying with Tom. We've been sharing this apartment with Emily Hoggood. 
Um, yay, Emily, another, another top, yep. she doubled back with the Western States UTMB double to do two top tens again this year. Crazy. Just like what a, what a champion, <laughs> but uh, Tom was pretty pleased with that performance. So I think he's mm-hmm. going home, going home pretty happy. Yeah. Talk Wait, us to the ladies. The, oh, yeah. my Lanta moments. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. This race was insane. If you have not watched the live coverage, um, I'd go look at some of it because we had these insane, drone footage we had like the, the the like the most insane moments of the race we somehow luckily like had drone footage of um so katie shide took the win um american but lives over in europe um lives in france studied in switzerland is just a baller athlete she's been top 10 twice already at utmb um but she pr'd by like four hours this year yeah. and took the win yeah. um in battle and, and battled and had a battle so she went out she didn't, she won't tell you that she went out fast because she went out feeling good. Um, and that was kind of the goal was to push, push hard where she felt good and to run easy when she felt bad. And she did that, but she, I mean, she made it to Cormier in 19 or not 19. She made it to Cormier in nine and a half hours. Yeah. Like that is so fast on her, this course. Yeah. Her tracker dot was so close to Killian and Jim's on the oh. like profile that you're like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, she came, she came into St. Gervais like five minutes down on the lead men. Yeah, it's so um, crazy. And she, like had no idea that that's what was going on, but she ran exceptionally well, but she had a battle with Marianne Hogan, who ultimately finished second, who talk about a double, um, third at Western States, second at UTMB in the same year. Like, oh, so crazy. my goodness, like yeah. blown away by Marianne. Yeah. But Took they, the lead at like, what, 100K? Yeah, they duked it out. It was coming through the Bovine. Um, no, it wasn't. It was com- It was before that. No, it was over Col- Grand Colferay. So that's where that pass happened initially. Katie kind of had a hard time going up the up the coal. She had she had vomited at the aid station below that big climb, and she's never vomited in a race before. So it kind of had her shook, I think. And so she like got a rain jacket on and like made her way up the climb. And then at the top, Marianne just like bombed past Katie. And apparently Katie was trying to put her poles away and like actually like kind of like stuck her pole between Marianne's legs. And they both kind of yelped and like everything was oh, fine. But we got this all in the drone footage. Um, and so Marianne just kind of ran, like ran away and Katie's like, wow, she's moving really well. Like, I don't think, I think that's it. Like, I think she's got it. And then suddenly going through the bovine on their way to Triant, um, we like, we're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to go try to find our lead lady. Now we should have footage, footage of her coming to the bovine. And we like the drone, like comes up on the screen and we're like, okay, there she is. There's Marianne Hogan in the red and like in the red pack. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, Katie Scheid is in the same shot. And she just like slowly like closed down on her. And she said that when she passed Marianne on the downhill, she could tell that like that she was having problems kind of navigating the rocks and that her legs or hip was having an issue probably. And so Katie felt just like, okay, I just got to keep moving. Like this is mine. And, Mm -hmm. you know, literally ran away with it one by an hour. Um, But then our home girl, uh, Caitlin Gerben. Yeah. Fan fan favorite PNW hero. Um coming back from injury, she had a femoral neck stress fracture last year. Um which I which was like pretty devastating. We were both here injured last year and um yeah, she was third in her first UTMB showing just absolute baller status. Mm-hmm. So we it was in North America. It was a uh, USA, Canada, USA. Katie became the fifth American woman to win this race. Um just absolute bonkers. So mm-hmm. huge, huge congrats to them. Gotta also say that uh Emily Hoggood had an amazing double. We'll just give her a double shout out. Uh sixth at UTMB with a late pass. She was in fifth and actually got passed mm-hmm. 
late in the race by a really cool, um, Hungarian athlete, Esther, who I think is a mom as well. Like she made strong moves at the end and passed Emily, but Emily was fifth at Western States. So like quite well, like this is maybe the most successful doubles we've ever seen this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so super, super cool. And then Hilly goat with the rally with the all day birthday energy oh, gosh, moved up all yeah. day to finish 14th. And I just happened to be at the finish line and got to go <laughs> oh. wrap, wrap you up in a big sweaty hug. And that was, Oh, I was very sweaty. Yeah. The highlight. I had a late pass in the race, but I passed someone in coming mm-hmm. into town. I saw mm-hmm. run that fast <laughs> at the end. <laughs> so cool. Uh, yeah. So proud Yay. of you. Um, speaking of Keely, you want to, you want to hit us with some, with some <clears throat> Q and A's, some Q and A's about <laughs> our personal experiences out there so that we can, uh, share a little bit about what went on. Who should we start with? What do you want to make happen, Keely? Yeah, let's talk about, Corinne, let's talk about your race. So you lined up for TDS. Um, this is one of your biggest races since your injury. And you were feeling a little stressed going in anyways. You were kind of like, I don't even know if I'm going to race. So like walk us through that mindset. And then like what happened on race day? Let us know how your hip's feeling now. And like, how did you kind of come to terms with not finishing TDS? Yeah. So I, Keely and I were on a call. We actually, we had recorded Steph's interview and I think that's the call that I was on. I was like stressed out because there was like craziness happening all around our building with construction going on next door. And I was saying that, you know, I got just gotten COVID in July and I was really, really stressed about getting on the start line. Like I felt like I'd completely messed up this training block and that I wasn't going to get, wasn't going to get there feeling good. And I had wanted to go into TDS, like ready to like fight for a podium position there, um, after just kind of like going through the motions, so to speak at Madeira earlier in the season, like that was like this, like not survival. That was not survival at all. That was like a trust the body again, go through the motions, do a race, feel good about it. And I wanted TDS to be like this, like I'm racing again. I'm going to be competitive. I'm going to get uncomfortable. It's going to be really fun. And I, uh, had a full on panic and I was blaming COVID for it. Like I was like, I'm not ready to race because of COVID. Like, that's what it is. And then I was like, well, is it COVID or is it the fact that like we moved in May and we bought a house in May and I did commentary for two races in June and I did crewing at Badwater and then got COVID and I'm working a ton um, and probably saying yes to more things than I should um, instead of heck yes to certain things and no to a lot of other things and just kind of recognize that my balance is like so far out of whack that I haven't been doing a very good job taking care of myself, like prioritizing certain aspects in and around training, um, protecting time for my running, protecting time to do things like yoga or PT, or I don't know, any form of stretching that you, one might do, um, or strength work. And so that kind of really, that kind of really bit me in the butt and that like really solidified those, like that, that it really, those feelings were solidified within my TDS experience. Um, got a real good wake up call out there. Um, decided to race TDS after talking to my coach, big shout out to Adam St. Pierre for keeping us sane and listening to us cry periodically. Um, getting calls at, you know, 11 PM mountain time while your athletes are racing in Europe. I uh, decided to race and gotten excited about just go not going through the motions, but like, just like going and doing it. And like, seeing what happened and taking a chance on myself and was feeling really good and running like not, not conservatively, but felt really comfortable 
was running in like fifth and sixth, just kind of cruising through the the nighttime hours after that midnight start, knowing that we had a lot of climbing to go and a lot of really big terrain to move through later in the day and came through St. Bernard, um, on my way down to Borg St. Maurice. And you kind of TDS is funky in which you, you traverse a lot of trails that are only sort of trails at times, including like cow pastures or like random bits of grass that connect two roads together. And I took a funny step in which I thought the ground was there and it was not. And a tight back that I had had for the last two weeks became, you know, everything seizing up and my, and having pain in my fracture site from last year. And I just, while I, I went actually to went, went for a little jog just before this, I uh, full on panicked and started crying and walked my way two miles downhill to this little village where we have a water stop on the course before the last 3k to Borg St. Maurice and sat on a bench and called our team manager to come get me because I didn't have want to have to walk all the way to Borg St. Maurice to have my bib cut off. And, uh, you know, it was, I think Tuesday had a lot of tears. And then I told everyone I'd probably cry again when I saw Paul Lind because he's just like coach dad human. Um, and sure enough, when I saw him after Emily's finished, completely broke down again. But, you know, that was that wake up call. That was the like, Hey, like your body's not in a great spot. It's, it's not as durable. You've slipped back into old habits. You're not taking care of yourself. You need to be durable and ready to, you know, ready to put your body through this stuff. And that's not what you're doing right now. And so it's uh, opened my eyes to some changes that need to happen uh, over the next couple of months to put me in a good spot for next season. If I, if I want to not only do the commentating and the podcasts and and the coaching that I do, if I, if I want to run really well and like take advantage of the current sponsorship I have, I'm going to have to, you know, step back on other things in my life in order to try to find some balance through that process. So it was sad. And I cried many, many tears. Um, and I'm sure more tears will be shed, um, between now and my next race, but, um, coming out of it, feeling okay. Like feeling like it was mostly panic and, uh, and a wake up call and not any sort of permanent damage. So I'll, I'll start running this next week and, and kind of get to go from there. And monologue Keely's muted. (laughs) So I'm really glad that you don't think it's anything permanent. So that's really great news, but I felt like, you know, DNFs are hard. So you're allowed to mourn them and then we can move on, but it's allowed, it's allowed to suck, right? Like DNFs aren't very fun, but it's really cool when you can understand that your body's just saying no. So what are some of the things you think you're going to start implementing to get that balance back? Yeah. I think I'm just going to cut back on a couple things in my life to, to try to protect a little bit more time in my calendar, because it turns out it's not going to calm down on its own. I've been saying it's going to calm down. I just kind of keep projecting it into the future instead of taking any action there. But it's it's about like, since we've moved from San Francisco to Seattle, I haven't like reestablished any sort of care. I don't have a PT. Mm-hmm. I don't have like a manual tissue or massage therapist that I've been working with or have seen. And so I think it's those little things that my body responds really well to that I just haven't been doing. I haven't been in the gym mm-hmm. in six months. So those little things really need to really need to find a place of priority if I'm going to uh, make it to start lines healthy down the road, like I'm hoping to go to Cape town in November to kind of do my final race of, of 2022 mm-hmm. at the hundred K there. And I can't, that won't happen if I, if, I mean, it could happen, but I, I won't, I won't go into it feeling uh, confident in my body and knowing that my body can handle whatever that day throws at it. If I don't do those 
do those little things. Otherwise I'm just going to have high cortisol and need to cry all the time to, to release cortisol <laughs> in my tears, which is my new favorite fun fact. Yeah. And stress is stress is stress, right? Like the stress you're feeling from all the work is going to translate into your running and yeah, you got to take care of the little things so that you can actually go out there and perform your best. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking about stress, <clears throat> Hillary, you said you were probably the most stressed <gasps> and the lowest you've ever been during a race. Um, but you still gutted out a 14th place finish, which is really, really impressive, especially considering how mentally taxed you were and how much turmoil you went through during it. So, um, you started UTMB. Why don't you walk us through like all of your emotions you had that day and how that kind of went for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't even know where to start because it's like some of these races, it's like these ultras. I mean, it's, there's so much mental energy that's like expended in anticipation of a start line. And, um, especially the week of UTMB, it's been, it's, it's been one of the craziest, um, like just busiest times. I feel like in Chamonix that I've ever experienced. And I've been coming here since, you know, 2015 and there's just more new, normally it's crazy the week before, but I was here about a month before and it was just equally as crazy. And so it just felt very like, you know, you're still trying to do big training. It just felt very like mentally taxing too. And trying to couldn't said, like take space for yourself. It kind of gets harder and harder, especially with, you know, obligations of sponsors and things like this. Um, but I was able to take a little bit of that space before, um, before the, the race started. Um, but for me, it was just kind of like unexpected. We talked about like the nutrition mm -hmm. save, uh, from the feed, but when I started the race, like instantly something was off and I, and I expect it to start fast. It always starts super fast. Like the first 30 K is always just like incredibly fast. Um, but there's something was that was just off with my stomach and, um, like off from the fact of like, I think it was a late start and maybe this is something I'll need to practice, but, um, like pain in my stomach, like on every downhill, like mm. it would settle in on the uphill and then just kind of like sharp pains in my stomach. Um, almost like it was kind of, it just like gas, maybe who knows, mm. but like, then every time I was like eating something, it felt like I immediately had to go to the bathroom after like 10 minutes mm. and then it kind of shifted. So this was happening, um, but before I got to San Gervais and into like Contamine and then in the night, it just got progressively worse. And so much so that then it started, like, I felt nauseous. Like, not only was I going to go to the bathroom every time I tried to eat, I started to feel like I was going to throw up. And so mm. I kind of toned it down and just found a way to, like, kind of get to survival mode um, to get to Cormier to see my crew. <sighs> Mentally speaking, like, it was really important to me to, like, make it past the point where I dropped last year, which was at the pyramids climb, like, Lac Combal, like, right after that section. Um, but I was really tempted to drop there because I just wasn't feeling it. Um, and it was actually, I, I remember on the cold, cold of the saying, so headed up before you go to the pyramids climb, I was going back and forth with Ragna and she was the, you know, the, the like have like heavy favorite, right. She had mm -hmm. like kind of canceled all her races this season just to practice, to focus on UTMB. And I asked her, cause we were friends. We, I've been racing against Ragna since I started racing. And I was like, Hey, how are you doing? And she's like, 
I'm so low mentally. She's like, I'm still traumatized from this race from last year. Mm. And we were both, and I was like, Ragna, me too. Like, I don't know what it is, but like physically my stomach isn't there, but mentally I'm just struggling so much. And it was like, Mm. you know, hour seven or like Mm -hmm. not even like very early into a race. (laughs) And we talked about it and like, we're just very honest with one another. And, and I said, well, like, what was it last year that like you, you dropped, you know, cause you know how hard this is. And she's like, I was feeling the pressure, you know, I just felt like Mm -hmm. I had to win and there was so much pressure. And when I wasn't like, Mm -hmm. I tried to gut it out, but then it just became not fun. Mm -hmm. And I think that's easy place for elites to go. Like when things don't start, you know, when things aren't going, your way, it's easy to kind of want to give in or find a way to like, to throw in the towel, um, to quit. Cause it's easier because a race like this, like literally the, the second half is hardest. Like the second, the last 50 K of UTMB is like impossibly hard. It is so crazy to wrap your mind around it when you're feeling so crappy at hour eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I kind of told Ragna, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to make it to Cormier and see if I can keep going after that. And I was like, let's continue going. Like, hopefully it'll get better. Um, and I finally, like, then I started cramping. I made my way down into Cormier. Um, I remember I saw my athlete manager right before I went into the aid station. I just started crying. Cause I was like, I was just empty. My body was just so empty physically just because I wasn't able to eat at this point, it was, I, fi- I think I finally made it in there in like 11 hours, 11 and a half hours. Mm. And then, um, I just started crying. Cause I was like, also just mentally exhausted. Like the last 11 and a half hours, I'd been like fighting every urge within me to quit. Mm-hmm. And then I get into the aid station. I see my crew and I'm like, you know, I wanted to, cause your crew does an insane amount of work during these races. You don't want to let them down. And so um, I actually called Adam during the race and I was bawling. Um, and he's like, Hilly, just give yourself 20 minutes. You're going to eat some food and your legs are going to feel better. And he's like, then, you know, like, that's what you're going to do. And then you can call me at the next one. And I'm like pissed. Cause I'm like, just tell me to quit, man. But like, at the same time, like I didn't want to, um, mm-hmm. And, uh, I think it was, I don't know if I took an hour or an hour and a half. I think it was maybe an hour and 20 minutes in Cormier. And it was so weird because I was like crying, saying that I wanted to quit. I did not know how I was going to keep going yet. I was changing my shoes. I was changing my socks. I was like slowly eating potatoes and Mm then I ate rice and then I was able to eat some pizza. And then, you know, I had like changed my shirt all while I was like saying, okay, I don't know if I could do this. And then my crew, Elise, who's like the best ever, I don't know, pull some mental trickery on me. And she's like, how about this? Let's look at the next course profile. How about you try to make it until the next time I can see you? That's lawfully. And it was like literally 25 miles away. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I can do that. <laughs> Just like, what? Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, like finally I got I got up and I started like climbing and I think there's a few more phone calls of like I was just so mentally just like wanting to quit but also not wanting to that it like it literally it was in even in La Folia I still made it there but in a very very low space I think it was like in total probably 17 hours of me feeling like the most low like low mentally that I've ever felt 
but there was something that happened at that, um, that 17, 18 hour mark where I started to feel slightly better that my stomach didn't feel like there were like knives poking into it. And I like, I, I don't know. I thought of like, I just didn't, I didn't let myself think about quitting (laughs) after that. And, um, I found a way to keep going. Um, but it got like really dark. Um, and I don't know if like you felt this Corinne, but like, and maybe Keely, you felt this too, but I feel like there's great, there's great opportunity that comes with being a professional athlete, but there's also great scrutiny. And, uh, there was definitely, there was, and especially to race like UTMB, which has become an insanely competitive and spectated race, which is awesome for the growth of the sport. But with that comes at, like immense pressure on the athletes. And in this era where I think your, your wins are celebrated, but easily forgotten, like it's always like mm-hmm. what's next, you know, as opposed to really like savored and, and, and relished for, you know, as for a lot of time as it should be, um, instead of racing, you know, quickly onto the next race where your failures are almost under just like a magnifying glass and scrutinized. And I was, I was feeling that and I was almost feeling, and I was feeling embarrassed. And I was like really dealing with that mentally of like having these big goals and knowing what I can, what I'm capable of at a race like this, but having that kind of slip through my fingers and still trying to find my why and why I wanted to keep going. Um, that was a really important process for me because it is a great opportunity to be here at this race and try hard and to have sponsors behind me. But I think, and it's it's awesome to win and have a good day, but I think that it says even, even more, at least for me, to find a way through those really hard moments. Um, and that was a conversation I had with myself, but then also like, you know, saying like, who cares? Like you're doing this for you. Like no one knows your why, you know, your why, and this is why you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really important place to get. And then also like, <laughs> yeah, just, uh, you know, it, it's like, it's such a personal, personal journey. And, and I had this conversation. It's like, I don't need to prove how tough I am to anyone. I know I'm tough. And that's like mm-hmm. what kind of kept me, what kept me going. I think what's like, what's interesting about that is that, you know, I like, I put up a post about TDS and I think that I got almost more comments on that in support than I have gotten on things where it's like, I've done really well. Won the um, race. Like it was totally. really cool to like, <laughs> see that, like, that's the community that we're nurturing. That's the community that we're surrounding ourselves with. Like there's always going to be haters which is like, I feel really weird saying that, but that's like, they're going to be people that, that don't like you or criticize you or are here to critique you. And I think it was really cool. So I was at the finish line when Hilly finished and, you know, like independent of how your day went, like who was there? Like the whole Brooks crew was there. Your mom was there, your crew was there. And like, they were all like, they all loved you and like, were there to support you. Yeah. It I mean, was, I got the biggest so hug cool. from your mom. She was so happy. She was so happy to be there. Like, I mean, it was my birthday too. Like at first I was just like during the race, I was like, this is so crappy. Like I'm having the worst birthday. But like, then it was like the best because like the, these, you know, I'm a new member to this team. It's hard to switch teams, but like, literally I've been doing, I've been doing sport for so long. And this was like one of the most special team moments that I have ever had. And it was from my like the Brooks teammates showing up 
when I finished, it was also like all the Brooks employees that were there and they had like synchronized this, like singing me happy birthday. And like, it was Mm. just really special. So yeah. And I agree with you, Corinne. I mean, it's like being honest about like kind of what it takes to get to a finish line, I think is more powerful in sharing that than like, you know, the, these like, Mm -hmm. like stellar performances, which those are important too, but yeah. Yeah. But some people were like, Oh, thank you for being vulnerable. And I'm like, I'm not being vulnerable. I'm being authentic. Like, this is who I am. Like, I I know, I know no other way, but I think it's our team manager. We had a horrible day at TDS, all four of myself, myself and three of my teammates, we all dropped out of TDS, like four for four, (laughs) not a good day. Um, And our team manager, you know, at dinner that night kind of told everyone like, look, like we celebrate our wins together, but he's like, but like more importantly, we're here for each other Mm -hmm. on, on like when we lose, like when we have a bad day and that (laughs) like, that cult, like that culture being cultivated in our communities and in our households and in our teams, I think is, is really cool to see that, like that be the, the take-home message for, for mm-hmm. athletes and for fans and for um, people coming into the sport. Yeah. And, and Corinne, I feel like you took away from this race, something that you learned about yourself, something that you're going to take forward and change. Um, and I agree with you guys that the worst race typically sh- they typically teach us the most about ourselves. And so Hilly, like walking away from this one, like you still got it out a super impressive finish, but obviously it was super hard for you was not one of your better races. Like, what are you taking away from this one that will, you know, propel you forward into the next race and kind of light that fire for, for your next races. <laughs> you know, it's like, sometimes I'm like, how do I, like, do I need more lessons in like toughness or like mental toughness <laughs> or perseverance? But like, holy crap, this was another one, like one for the books because like I've been through some lows, but like that amount of like continuous lows and like that palpable fighting of self. Um, yeah, it, it's just something. And it was like, it was almost like an outer body experience to witness like what resilience is. And I think mm. that that, I mean, and I don't think I'm special in that respect. I think every human possesses this resilience and it's just like even more crystal clear to me now. Um, so yeah, that's one lesson. And, um, yeah. And I also think it's just like the power of like community support and and this kind of thing. It's like that, that can take you a really far way if you, you know, really trust, um, those that are trying to help you. So. I think we got, we got some really good take-home messages. Racing's hard, man. The sport's brutal. <laughs> that's like, I think that's my big takeaway from this week, but you know, people are there to hug you and support you no matter, no matter if you're Katie Scheid or Corinne Malcolm or anyone else who dropped out of TDS. Cause apparently a lot of us did like 800 of us or something. Um, yeah. but we're coming to our last segment of our podcast, the society slam brought to you by our friends over at Aura Ring. Keely, do you want to go first? Do you got a um, I mean, I have some aura ring. <gasps> you got aura ring things? Got some aura ring things. Tell us your aura ring things. Yeah. So I have been noticing <gasps> that as I've come back from <laughs> injury, that my this is just me being a nerd, but you know, I thought that you don't have to pay as much attention to your recovery from cycling. And compared to running, which is me being naive and it's going against everything I preach to anybody. But I've noticed that as I was allowed to bike, I went kind of full steam ahead and was biking like 20 hours a week just because I was like, well, I can't do anything else. I'm in Park City living in a 500 square foot apartment. Um, 
that's not great. And so, you know, I did that for two and a half weeks. And then all of a sudden my aura ring readiness scores dropped like substantially down into the sixties for like a week in a row. And it like really triggered me to be like, what am I doing? Like, why am I just going ham right now? Like I need this energy to, to make sure my foot is healed. I don't need to be like putting myself in the hole while I'm, you know, recovering still just so that I can go out and, you know, hammer on the bike all the time. And so I was just really grateful for my aura ring recently because it kind of reminded me that while we were in Colorado to just, you know, take a freaking chill pill just because you can't run doesn't mean you have to channel all that energy onto the bike. It still is detrimental to your overall readiness and health. Um, and it, it just kind of was a nice little wake up call to me to, to just be a little more true to my body and don't find that I need to you know, fill all of my space with unnecessary cycling or unnecessary exercise. You can't fill the hole in your heart with cycling. Exactly. <laughs> so thank you, Orring. <laughs> thank you, Orring, for keeping us honest. Um, okay, I'm gonna start with my society slam because I think it's really cute and it's short Perfect. and it's adorable. So I was running along with my trio of American men. Um mm-hmm. I had uh I had Mike Foot and Matt Urbanski as my uh my friends out on the trail. And I had another Matt from Bend um as well. So we had a, we had a trio. And then all of a sudden there was this like Australian guy with us and he's passing us because we we're kind of going through this little downhill that he was running faster. And he goes, oh, My girlfriend is going to be so jealous. And I said, Why is that? And he said, Because I'm running alongside Corinne Malcolm. She loves trail society. And I like, <laughs> she's gonna be so excited when I tell her who I got to run like the first bit of TDS with. So, um, huge shout outs. It's been really, really cool to be here in Europe, meeting people from all over the world who, um, who've been listening, um, like texts are coming in from folks. It's been really, really cool. So thank you for listening. Thank you for telling your friends about us. And, uh, if you really like it that much, like so much that you're like telling me in a race that you like our podcast, um, you should probably go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review because that helps us out a lot. And that's my society slam slash plug. Thank you. Australia guy. Yeah. Hilly, do you got one or want me to go? Yeah. I mean, mine's kind of similar. I don't know who it was, but someone in the race, like it was like, as I was passing them kind of in the, in the final case, actually. Um, and I don't know what country he was from, but it wasn't from the United States or the UK. Um, but he saw my bib and he was like, he was just like, ah, we, and it was, it was a guy and he's like, we love your, we love your podcast. (laughs) He's like, he was just excited to see me pass. And then he recognized my name. And, um, so shout out to all of you guys. It was just really cute. Um, I wish I knew his name. So, so thank you. (laughs) Whoever you were in the dark final case of that never ending, uh, section up to Le Fleger. Yeah. (laughs) My society slam is not nearly as cutesy, but uh, I got a nice DM from one of our listeners saying that they actually dug into ultra sign up for us a little bit and went through the registration process, hoping that there would be like a non-binary or other option for gender identification. And there's not. And so they were saying like when we were referencing ultra sign up the week before, um, they just wanted to let us know that they don't have that implemented quite yet in the ultra sign up world to add in a different gender identity. So maybe talking about it, we'll get ultra sign up to make a little bit of a change. I know some people over there. I met their CEOs last night. So, uh, I'll, uh, maybe I'll, I'll shoot them an email here, but yeah, thank you. Like community, community makes it happen. So that's how we're going to make, make change. Um, until this is kind of, this is going to come out kind of bonusy. So we're going to, 
we're going to turn this around really quick for you all and hopefully you enjoy it. But um, we would love it if you would continue to slide into our DMs to send us your shout outs, to send us your race results, to send us the things that you are witnessing in your communities. Um, we love it all and we want to share it all. So do not stop sliding into those DMs reaching out. There are going to be some new cool ways to reach out in not all that long over at Free Trail. And we will give you that intel in just a couple of weeks. But until then, we will see you out on the trail. <laughs>